We continue our series in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Before we get to our text, a couple questions for us this morning. How do we trust the things that we've learned? How do we trust the things that we've learned? How do you know what you've learned is true? Hmm. I mean, if you're in school, either homeschooled or in a classroom, the things that you've learned have been taught to you by someone else. And the reason that we trust the things that we've learned, that we know what we've learned is true, is because we trust the people who teach us. We trust that what they tell us is true. We also take what we've learned and then we experience it. We trust what we've learned because we also trust the experience that we've observed over time. Right? I know that I can, when I was outside, I said, you know, I can jump in the air and know I'm not just going to float off into, you know, <laughs> into the wild blue yonder because of gravity. I've learned about gravity. I've been told, people have told me about it. I've trusted in what they've taught me, and then I've experienced and learned it. And this morning, Luke helps us understand faith and trust by helping us understand why we can trust Jesus, why we can have faith in him. And I just want to remind us, because we've, we're now seven chapters in, and I don't presume that everybody has heard all the sermons that, we, that we've gone through uh, that I or Pastor Alex or uh, Derek Bates have, have preached or that you even remember. But I want us to remember that as we come to this kind of topic this morning, Luke, the writer of this gospel, is a lot like us. Right? Luke was not an eyewitness to Jesus. Luke did not know Jesus personally. Luke likely, from all that we can tell from historical uh, positioning and things like that, likely was either a convert himself or actually grew up in the home of Christian converts. And so Luke is either himself an older convert or a somewhat younger man who, was, who grew up in a Christian home. As a Gentile, far away from where all these events took place. And so Luke believed in what he had been told. And he does what many of us wish we could do, right? Many of us wish, oh, if I had only been there and could go back and talk to the people that saw this and did this and experienced this, then I would believe. Then I would have faith. Well, Luke does that for us. Luke is one who took the time and the ability that he had to go and investigate all that he had learned and heard. And so we come to this text in Luke chapter 7. Let us read from verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, it's Jesus, the sermon on the plain, as, we, as Luke calls it, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, 
who is highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you come do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume you to come or to come to you, but say the word and let my spirit servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word made flesh in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you've given us the word of life. Lord, we pray that you would help us give eyes, eyes to see and ears to hear this day, that we would know what it is that the centurion understood that caused Jesus to be marveled and what we need to understand to marvel at Jesus. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, and as I mentioned last week, Derek Bates preached for us, and he helped us see the glorious invitation that Jesus gives us to the good life. You know, Derek pointed out from the text that we assume that the good life is to be full and rich, to laugh in the midst of things that would lead to mourning, to have people think well of us, that that's kind of what we believe and understand is the good life, of all the things that we are to hope to achieve in life. Jesus' day was not much different than ours. People wanted the same things. And Jesus instead says, you know what? Woe to those things. Now, we can take that as kind of Jesus pronouncing judgment. We can also take it as Jesus saying to us, how sad that those are the things that you believe is what life is about, what the good life is. And instead, Jesus says, the good life actually is much different than that. It looks really kind of the opposite of that. The good life is about loving our enemies, giving to those who can't pay us back, taking the log out of our own eyes so that we don't misjudge others. When we live like this, we will be like a fruit tree that bears good fruit. And this morning, we move from that sermon that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Plain, and Jesus enters Capernaum once again. He encounters a centurion asking for help through the elders of the town. Now, just so that we all are, understand what's happening here, a centurion was part of the Roman guard. He had a hundred men under him, under his command, and centurions would have power. They would have wealth, as we can see 
here and that he built the synagogue in Capernaum for them. He would have had to have a significant amount of wealth to do that. And he had authority. And we'll see that his authority helps him understand the authority that Jesus has. The authority that the centurion has, the authority that's given to him, will help him and help us understand the authority that Jesus has. And as we come to our text, we need to ask the question that the centurion asked and had an answer to. Does our faith in Jesus rest on his authority? Does our faith in Jesus rest on his authority? Now, you might be wondering what that question is getting at. And I'll ask it, maybe, or I'll think about, think about maybe another way. We might believe in Jesus in the sense that he died for our sins, that he lived and died and rose again. We may have faith in what Jesus has done and the miracles that he did. We may have faith that Jesus has done for me. But does our faith rest on his authority? Does our faith rest on the authority of Jesus? And the main point that we see in our text is that because Jesus has been given all authority, we can be faith-filled. Because Jesus has been given all authority, we can be faith-filled. We see that in two ways, the knowledge of faith and the confidence of faith. The knowledge of faith we see in verses 1 through 3 and then in verse 6. The reason I mention that Jesus is entering Capernaum again and the reason that Luke mentions it, that Jesus is entering Capernaum again, is not just to say, hey, Jesus is here in the town of Capernaum, but it's important because this centurion is stationed in Capernaum. This is a town in Galilee that the centurion is stationed in, and Jesus has already been in Capernaum doing ministry, teaching, healing. You'll remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was in the very synagogue that the centurion built for Capernaum. And when he's there teaching and preaching, there's a man who is demon-possessed. And he casts out the demon. And the centurion has undoubtedly heard of all that Jesus has done in and around Capernaum. The casting out of this demon, the healing of people. Maybe the centurion has even witnessed some of these healings, maybe even heard some of Jesus' teaching. He has knowledge about Jesus, what he's done, what he's taught, right? The text tells us uh, that now the centurion had a servant who was sick to the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews. When he heard about Jesus, he had knowledge of who Jesus was, of what he had done, of what he's taught. But his faith is not merely in the knowledge he has of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. He needs this knowledge. He needs to know what Jesus has done. He needs to understand who, who Jesus is. He needs to understand the acts that Jesus has performed, the teaching that Jesus has, has done. He needs to know about Jesus. He has to have that knowledge but knowledge is not enough. Sometimes I think we as Christians or even those who maybe aren't Christians but kind of maybe are somewhat connected to the church, we believe that having knowledge of Jesus is enough. That we can 
know what he's done and what he's taught. But faith is not merely in the knowledge he has of Jesus. That is not enough. If we just know a lot about him, what he's done, etc., if that is where our faith ends, I'm going to say it's little faith. And Jesus says little faith is, is all that it requires to believe in him, to know him, to follow him, to receive him. Right? Jesus says of the centurion, what's interesting, I have not seen, I have not even, uh, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. He's not saying that there hasn't been other, hasn't been faith displayed in Israel. He's not saying that he hasn't seen faith. But what he's getting at, he's, he's saying that in many respects, that was somewhat little faith. And we'll see this later on throughout Luke. Jesus talking about little faith. But here he's seeing someone who has a greater faith than what he's experienced in Israel. And sometimes we can believe that knowledge of Jesus is just enough, knowing all the things about him, who he is, what he's done. But faith like that is often faith that is easily shaken in times of trouble. To merely know about Jesus is a kind of faith that can often be shaken in times of trouble. Shaken when we experience things in life, such as sickness or illness. Shaken in times when we are confronted with seemingly new and uh, unthought of before um, questions about the Christian faith. We can, at times be shaken when our faith resides merely on the knowledge of Jesus. Knowledge is important. We can't have faith in something that we don't have the facts about, in someone that we don't have information about, the facts about. But it goes beyond that. And it goes beyond that, and the centurion understands that it goes beyond that, not just in the knowledge that he is not worthy He's not worthy of, underst of understanding everything and who Jesus is, that Jesus is greater. And that this faith that the centurion has rests upon this worthy Jesus, this greater Jesus. His knowledge of Jesus helps him to see who Jesus is. Jesus is the object of his faith. Not some existential experience, but Jesus the person, Jesus the God-man is who his faith is rests on. And it rests on Jesus because of what he knows about Jesus, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that because the centurion has confidence of faith because of the authority that Jesus has. You see, the centurion asked the Jewish elders to go to Jesus, and they placed their confidence where? in the worthiness of the centurion, right? When they go to Jesus, they're like, Jesus, he is worthy for you to do this because he loves our nation and he has built us a synagogue. He's worthy, Jesus. So Jesus, you need to do this thing that he's, at, he's asking because he is worthy. 
He loves us. He loves the nation. And yet the centurion himself understands that he is not worthy. He is unworthy of asking Jesus to do this. But his confidence is not in his worthiness, but in the worthiness of Jesus. And why does he understand that Jesus is worthy? He understands Jesus is worthy because of the authority that Jesus has. He understands that Jesus' word is enough, that Jesus has, a, has authority to command armies. The centurion doesn't understand exactly this authority that Jesus has. He doesn't understand exactly what Je- the authority that Jesus wields in, 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 its, in its entirety, but he understands that Jesus has the authority by his word to command things that he cannot see. He has commanded a demon to come out of a man in, that, in the synagogue in Capernaum. He has commanded people to be he- healed, so to sickness, to leave people. He has authority over all these things. And the centurion sees that he has this authority, just like he does. <laughs> right? He understands Jesus' authority because he understands his authority. Right? He has authority that's been given to him. This authority that he has has been given by the most powerful man in the world at that time, Caesar, right? This centurion has the power to tell other people what to do, and they do it not because of his own authority, but because of the authority that's been given to him by Caesar. And this centurion, seeing Jesus, knowing what he's done, understanding who he, what he's seen what he's, and who Jesus is, understands that this Jesus functions out of an even greater authority than Caesar. An authority that the centurion really can't even comprehend. An authority so much greater than the authority that he has known under the authority of Caesar. He recognizes that Jesus has this authority over demons, disease, and death. And he trusts in Jesus because of the authority that Jesus has. Right? He believes and has faith in what Jesus can do, not because of what Jesus has done. Do you understand that? But in the authority that he has. Right? All that Jesus has done, all that he said, has helped the centurion to know who Jesus is. But the faith that he has in Jesus is not founded in what he has done or what he has said, but in the authority that Jesus has. And he trusts Jesus. Right? He says, say a word and my servant will be healed. Right? The centurion understands. He's humble in the presence of Jesus and understands the power of Jesus the power of his word to heal and reveal and that he understands who Jesus is and what he is able to do. The word of Jesus is the vehicle of his miraculous power. The presence of God's salvation is in Jesus and is communicated through his word. And at the heart of this passage, at the heart of this interaction is trust in the authority of Jesus and his authoritative word. 
And as we look at this passage, we have to ask ourselves, is our faith resting in the confidence of the authority that Jesus has? Is our faith resting in the confidence of the authority that Jesus has, the one who all authority in heaven and on earth has been given And if our faith is resting in him, in his authority, are we willing to hear his authoritative word? Right? The centurion understood his authoritative word. He said, if you just say it, it will happen. He's like, I don't actually know exactly how that works, but you have an authority even greater than mine, that if you just say it, it will happen. And so are we willing to hear his authoritative word in our lives. To live the life that he's called us to. Right? It's no... Uh, it's no mistake that Luke places this right after Jesus' teaching on the life of the kingdom, living in the kingdom. that Jesus' authoritative word calls his disciples to live in light of what he has just preached in the Sermon on the Plain. To live according to the life he's called us to do and to live. Does his authority, the one who gave himself for us, does his authority reign supreme in our lives? Does his authority call us to go and to come and to do all that I have commanded. I'll close with this somewhat extensive quote from a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He was a decent preacher and theologian um, in, from, in London in the 1600s or 1700s. Here's what Spurgeon says when he's commenting on this passage, and I'm just going to read it exactly how he wrote it. I want you to believe, dear hearts, that our Lord Jesus Christ, no longer here in the flesh, but risen from the dead, is clothed with power equal to that which he had in the centurion's day. Nay, that he is clothed with even greater power. For after his resurrection, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then I want you to believe that he is prepared to turn all that power in your direction so as to work for your deliverance from spiritual death your rescue from the power of sin, your help in the way of providence, your guidance in the way of wisdom, or whatsoever out of 10,000 things may happen to be the need of this present moment. Oh, that he who gave such faith as this to the centurion at Capernaum would give like precious faith to many of you that you also may glorify and bless his holy name. Because Jesus has been given all authority, we can be faith-filled. Our faith rests on the authority of Jesus. 
It is informed by who he is and what he's done. But it rests in his authority. And may we, as we rest in our faith, found in the authority of Jesus, may his authority go with us as we seek to live as he has called us to live. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that all authority has been given to Jesus and that our faith is founded and rests in his authority. Lord, may we know his authority more and more. Lord, may we rest in his authority. May our faith be founded in his unshakable authority over all things in heaven and on earth. And Lord, may we hear the call of his authority and live in the power of his authority as your children. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.